0: From our scripture reading, you just heard, we are starting our second topic in the book of Proverbs about learning how to live wisely. So as I heard about Ecuador, and I thought, I'd never been there. Where in the world is Ecuador? Hmm. Well, I think I know. And then I was very tempted to get my phone out, Google it, see what the pictures look like, and then, of course, George was up here telling us about the Chesapeake. You ever find yourself daydreaming in church? (laughs) Maybe I should say it the other way, right? Um, There's a lot of reasons why you could, and maybe it's not just because of what you're hearing, maybe because it's what you left at home before you came or what your plans are after church or the fact that the speaker is very boring and you have something more important to think about, or whatever. But just pause for a moment and think with me, isn't that ability an amazing thing to create potential realities in your mind? But since they're not real, you you have to snap back to reality, leave that daydream, eventually, but that doesn't stop us from continuing that journey, especially when um, there is now meta, virtual reality. That's the new technology, right, that's advancing on multiple fronts. And even if it's not a digital alternate reality, there are mystery rooms. Have you heard of those? places where you can go to escape for a while and live in an alternate way. Uh, Movies kind of tickle our imaginations with this. I was told by some folks of like a movie called Free Guy or The Matrix Trilogy or Ready Player One, and I'm sure there's a host of others, right? And then you've got video games. What is a video game? You're entering into this other world and kind of losing yourself from whatever you're used to here. So what's what's so attractive about those? What pulls us in those directions? Well, I'm I'm gonna suggest that God created us as humans with that ability to imagine a world outside of our present reality. It's something that we're gifted with. And at the beginning, in the garden, Satan tapped into that in Eve's imagination, remember? By creating, as it were, an imaginary garden where life would exist without love and loyalty to God. That's what he was doing. And in last Sunday's sermon, when Pastor Shep warned us against the alternate reality that lust presents, and by the way, if you weren't here, you need to go listen to that or watch that. It's very, very crucial that you do so. That's another way that God warns us about going somewhere in our mind that will eventually take us somewhere with our bodies. Today, we get to hear God's warning against another path of fallacy, folly, that of jealousy. Jealousy. Now, Oscar Wilde told a story of a monk living in the Egyptian desert in a cave, and this monk had a reputation for unblemished holiness. And the devil sent three of his choice demons to tempt the monk to break this pattern of holiness. And when the demons got there, they found the monk sitting near his cave with a peaceful look on his face. So the first demon placed in his mind the temptation of great power with visions of kingdoms and their glory, kind of like what Satan offered Jesus. But the face of the monk remained tranquil. The second demon planted in the monk's mind the temptation of great wealth and all that such money could buy, but the face of the monk remained calm. The third demon embedded in his mind the temptation of lustful pleasure in ways that bring unexpected delights, and this the holy man's face remained serene. Well, the demons reported back, and the devil was infuriated, and he said to his demons, "'What you do is too crude,' he said. "'I will show you a temptation that has never failed.' So he walked up to the monk and leaned over and whispered in his ear, Have you heard the news? Your brother monk has just been named Bishop of Alexandria. And the face of the monk scowled with jealousy. (laughs) Being tempted by jealousy, happens when any of us construct that alternate reality of a better life when we compare ourselves with someone else's life. And jealousy, according to Jerry Bridges, whose excellent book called Respectable Sins, has a chapter devoted to it, defines jealousy this way. Resenting an advantage that's enjoyed by someone else because we lack that advantage. I think that works. Let me say it again it's resenting an advantage that someone else has because we think we lack that. What a simple definition, but what a profoundly tragic sin and emotion. Now, Proverbs warns against the folly of jealousy, and it points us to God's wisdom, which is much better. Now, remember that the book of Proverbs is not just about making wise decisions, but about becoming a wise person. And God calls us throughout the book to pursue wisdom, which we've defined as skill at living In God's created order. It's living in harmony with the way God made the world, and the sooner we get in line, so to speak, the sooner we live according to God's plan, um, the less battered we will be by living in foolishness. And jealousy breaks that order. It takes us off the path into folly. It disrupts The shalom, the peace that God intends for us in the world to have. It causes deep malfunctions in us, our souls, and then spilling over to our relationships. It's not a topic I really wanted to preach on, to be honest about. (laughs) And I haven't actually relished all the study and research I've done into this, in books, and then in my own heart. Here we are. It's really important that we look at this. Now, I also should add, kind of as a footnote, that Scripture does use jealousy in a positive way. God is, in the book of Exodus, called a jealous God. And we might think of that connotation as God being zealous for his own glory. Can you hear that there? Jealousy is not always bad. Um, that's why God desires exclusivity in love and worship. Why? Because he deserves it. He is jealous for what he deserves, and that's a right, proper, godly jealousy. And that's why in Second uh, Corinthians 11, Paul can talk about us as Christians having a godly jealousy. However, Proverbs is not talking about good and godly jealousy, it's talking about sinful jealousy or envy, if you think about that word. And that's what I'm gonna be talking about today. So I'm gonna use jealousy and envy as synonyms, and I'm gonna ask us four questions that will help us understand and conquer jealousy. First, how does Proverbs warn us against jealousy and you have those sheets, right? You were handed one on the way in. You heard the scripture reading this morning which was taken from those verses from Proverbs. Let's just scan them and uh, you can take that sheet with you, take it home, look up these verses later as well. I read Proverbs 3, 31 and 32. Do not envy the violent or choose any of their ways, for the Lord detests the perverse but takes the upright into his confidence. It's pretty clear. We are not to envy violent people or perverse people because God stands opposed to them. So if God is opposed to the wicked, why would we want to stand with those that God hates? Chapter 14, verse 30. A heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. Haven't you maybe said to somebody, "Uh, what's eating at you? You ever said that? (laughs) Or somebody say that to you? Jealousy brings damage to us, to ourselves, to our hearts. It starts there, but it actually does affect the body. Studies have shown that things like jealousy, envy, have an effect that spills out into psychosomatic illnesses, whether it's headaches, nervousness, stress, etc. That's what Proverbs is talking about here. Chapter 23, verses 17 and 18. Do not let your heart envy sinners, but always be zealous for the fear of the Lord. There is surely a future hope for you, and your hope will not be cut off. The verse is pretty simple. Uh, The wicked have no eternal hope, only judgment. So why should we be jealous of wicked people who have that kind of destiny? Then the last verse we read, 27.4. Anger is cruel and fury overwhelming, but who can stand before jealousy? One commentator on Proverbs said, the raging fires of anger and fury are small matters compared with a quiet burn of jealousy. That's Proverbs. Now Proverbs gives us the warning against it. It doesn't give us the solution to it. I'll get there in a moment. But let me ask a second question. What? Do other scriptures reveal about the danger of jealousy? So let's, again, take a high view of scripture and just see some examples of this, ones that you're no doubt familiar with. For instance, in Genesis 3, in the very beginning, in the garden, Satan planted his jealousy in Eve and in Adam. You say, his jealousy? What are you talking about? Well, if you read Isaiah chapter 14, as not just Isaiah's look at the king of Babylon and his sinfulness, but as a reflection back on the ultimate evil one, you hear jealousy. Listen, I will ascend to the heavens I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mount of the assembly. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. Most all theologians agree that the primal sin of Satan was pride or jealousy, comparing himself to God, his creator, and wanting to supplant the creator, I will be like God. Well, what drove that? And the seed is envy. And so the fallen one comes to the woman and the man in the garden and takes that same tack. You don't have to believe the words that he said. Go ahead. Have a better life without him. And she acted on those words. And so did he. And here we are. It's not too long until you get to Cain and Abel. Remember that story in Genesis 4 where it says, after a worship experience, God had regard for Abel and his offering, but not for Cain. And if you read between the lines, you see Cain's jealousy turned to anger that burst out against Abel and murdered his brother. Genesis chapter 37, remember the story of uh, Jacob and his sons and Joseph. Joseph, the highly loved, some would even say the favorite son of Jacob. And it says in chapter 37 that Joseph's brothers were jealous of him and then sold him into slavery in Egypt. Can you see a pattern here? Jealousy in the heart leads to evil actions in the life. Here's another one in 1 Samuel chapter 18, verse 7. During the time of Saul, when he was king and David was the young upstart, but had just killed Goliath, the word on the street was, in a little jingle, Saul has slain his thousands, but David his ten thousands. And that led to Saul looking for opportunity after opportunity to kill David. When you move to the New Testament, you find in the book of Acts, the Jewish religious leaders who were jealous of, Of the early church's swift growth from among their own number. And it says they arrested some of the leaders and imprisoned them. Jealousy, if unchecked, always leads to sinful, violent actions. And that's why, no doubt, Paul puts jealousy in two of what we call the sin lists. You know how that works in the New Testament where Paul will name maybe 12 different sins? In Romans 1 and in Galatians 5, jealousy shows up there. So what can we conclude from a look at Scripture? Yeah, jealousy is bad, but jealousy is not just bad in itself. It's what jealousy leads to. It's at the root of hateful, violent actions. Well, you see what I mean about, this is not exactly a pleasant sermon, but it's where we live. Third question, how can we identify our jealousy? It's one thing to talk about it. You know, oh yeah, Joseph's brothers, those Jewish leaders and then you sit back and say, maybe not verbally, well, that's not me. Well, here we go, I'm gonna press in a bit here. Now, remember our working definition, jealousy is resenting an advantage that's enjoyed by someone else because you sense a lack of that advantage in your life. Julie Lowe, uh, who works at the CCEF ministry nearby, wrote an article and that link is embedded in the email that came out today and in the digital bulletin. By the way, every week hereafter there will be recommended resources like there were last week in Pastor Shep's sermon on lust for you to follow up afterward. So You can look at today's later to find this article. She says um, there's different scenarios where we find jealousy just kind of popping up in our hearts. Like when a child delights in their drawing but crumples it up after looking at someone else's. Or when a teenager surfs social media looking for ways to improve her looks, possessions, or number of followers. Or a college student who works hard but is discouraged when he learns of his peers' academic or sports accomplishments. Or when a mom listens to other moms talk about their children's accomplishments and suddenly feels inadequate in their own parenting. Or when a husband attends his men's group but fearing rejection, he withholds his struggles at work or in his marriage. And finally, a homeowner that works so hard and is proud of what they have, and then uh, they open up Better Homes and Gardens and take one look at a photo. You see what I mean? It's like, what does it take for us to be jealous? Very, very little. And yet, Jerry Bridges points out that it's usually someone who is like us that really kind of uh, triggers the jealousy. Someone we identify with, not someone so totally removed. For instance, um, appreciation of someone turns to jealousy of that person when we think that what they have is within our reach. Here's what Bridges says. An insurance salesman is not likely to envy a professional athlete who earns a multi-million dollar salary, but he may well envy another salesman who sells more insurance than he does. (laughs) See that? The reason we are tempted to envy in these situations is that there are enough things alike that the differences tend to strike us in the face. Oh, that's profound. So that means every one of us are looking at different people, but the same core emotion is happening. Comparison and then I want what they have because I feel like I don't have it or I don't want them to have it. That's even more despicable. And I think it happens in areas like stuff, if I can use that large word (laughs) that includes things like money and house and car, possessions, things. Doesn't it happen that way? Yeah. Or when we look at other people and see their influence that they have or their power, and we say, Oh, I wish I could have that power. Or when we look at someone's physical features, their body, and it seems to be more attractive to us, more beautiful, more fit, smarter more attractive in some way so if you have straight I remember this is when I was a kid I saw it in my kid if you have straight hair you look at somebody with curly hair and wish you had their hair like (laughs) what is that about sin and jealousy the we we say it this way right the grass is always greener on the other side of course it needs to be mowed and watered and fertilized, <laughs> which we don't realize at the time. Or here's another subtle way that we do it. Better times. Martha, you were talking about COVID and all the chaos that it threw on into our society. You don't have to be old anymore to talk about the good old days. <laughs> right? Right? But if we're not careful, we can start to envy those days. And it generates in us all these negative emotions and bad decisions. So do you see, we need God's wisdom to see the folly of jealousy, to smell it coming, to look at it, to name it, and to reject it. Like, what emotions come out that are signs of jealousy? What what are your emotions? Is it pity? Pouting? For some, it's anger? What need in your life is revealed by jealousy? Remember, if jealousy is seeing something that you think you lack and so you want it, what do you lack? Is that legit or not? Now, let me just give a case study uh, from a few weeks ago that is rather neutral, and I think you'll all know about it. A few weeks ago, Pastor Jim was up here on the stage, but he was back here playing his guitar. Some of you remember that, yep. right? I do, as I'm sitting over there thinking, wow, not only can the guy preach, and pastor, and play a guitar, he can lead worship. So I joked to him afterward, I said, well next week I'm bringing my harmonica to be on the worship team. It's about the only thing I can play. Or maybe when I retire I'll learn the guitar or something like that. So yeah, yeah this is where, so, so hold it. So I'm, I'm standing, sitting over there, and I can go one of two ways. I can go the, could we say, the appreciation road, the way of wisdom that says, praise God for gifting gin with the ability and the skill to play and lead and sing. Wow. Because look at how it blesses our whole congregation and so many more. Or, you see, I could flip it. Do I need to fill in the words? (laughs) Well, maybe a little bit, like, huh, he's he's trying to show off there, isn't he? We didn't hire him to do that. Come on, now Shep and I are going to look like the lazy guys. Or, how many emails is he going to get this week? I don't get those kind of emails. Nobody says to me, you played great because I don't play. <laughs> uh, y- y- see, I could go on. That's my heart of jealousy. Well, it's not Jin's fault for playing a guitar. <laughs> Every opportunity when we see someone presents us with one or the other path, the path of jealousy or the path of appreciation, the path that compares and wants or the path that looks and is thankful. So Paul told the Corinthian church in Second Corinthians 10, when they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they are not wise. But when Paul looked at the Philippian church in chapter one, verse three, he said, I thank my God every time I remember you. That's our choice. So my fourth question, And my last is, how does wisdom from heaven train us to resist the lure of jealousy? You see what we've been doing this morning? We're dissecting this thing called jealousy to find its stinger. And I'm asking, God, please show us how to remove that stinger so that the next time it comes, we smell it and we walk away. So I've got two ways to resist jealousy. One, since we as Christians are in Christ and since Christ is the wisdom of God, we as believers have a new reality that we're living in and we must tap into. And that new reality, first of all, is all about God, who is lovingly sovereign. That means, sovereign means he can do anything he wants to, anytime, all motivated by his love and goodwill. Now, if you let that sink deep into your soul... If you read, for instance, Psalm 75, 7, it is God who judges, He brings down one, He exalts another, or James 1:17: every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. Or Colossians chapter 2, verse 12, in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. When we really believe that, what, what lack do we have? You say, well, you still don't know how to play the guitar. Well, you're right, and maybe that means when I appreciate a guitar and the fact that Jin had to learn someday, maybe I can learn too. That's not jealousy, that's appreciation. Jealousy puts resentment in my heart and wanting to steal what somebody else has. Whereas knowing who God is that he gives to all people and what I have is enough, Now, let's just keep going on the guitar theme. Like it's really, really important that I play a guitar or not? That I'm loved by God, forgiven for all eternity, headed to heaven, in love with the lover of my soul who lets me love everyone with his love? I think guitar playing is, you know, down there 562 on the list of priorities. So why would I be jealous about it? So the first thing is, when we find our satisfaction in what really matters, we won't want somebody else's things or status to satisfy us. We are fully satisfied. And finally, second, since we are in Christ, part of him, we remember that we must live like Christ. And Philippians 2, we always go back to Philippians 2, don't we, says this, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others in your relationships with one another have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. And then the rest of the passage describes his emptying himself, humbling himself, putting himself second and us first. See that? And if we are in Christ, that belongs to us as well. We don't just benefit from it, we become more and more like him. So that when Paul says what love is, in 1 Corinthians 13, he says love does not envy. Why? Because Jesus does not envy. Have you let God's goodness, his loving sovereignty, overwhelm your soul and inspire your imagination so that you don't have to take from somebody else to be satisfied? You can receive from God what really satisfies. So Lord, uproot jealousy and envy from your people. Lord, plant instead the selfless giving and appreciation and honor that Jesus has and shares with us. You are a good God and we love you and worship you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.